For those who don't know me, I'm Pastor Jim, and if I've never met you, uh, please come tell me that I've never met you before, and uh, come see me after service. I'd love to meet you, uh, love to welcome you to our church. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9 this morning. Uh, if you're using one of the chair Bibles in front of you, it's going to be on page 918, so you don't need to use the table of contents. I will tell you what page it is on, 918. This morning, in, in some ways, the sermon is pretty simple. And, and to understand God's word this morning, I need you to have one simple picture in your mind. I need you to imagine in your mind standing next to someone else. That's it. You're welcome. To understand God's word today, you just need to understand standing next to someone. Because our story today is a lot of standing next to's. Because when you think about it, it we do so much standing next to each other. When you stand next to someone, you're able to talk with them. You're able to encourage them. You're able to comfort them in their sadness. You can speak up for someone. You can speak on their behalf when you stand next to them. You can work with them on a task. All of these things, it's just such a natural part of our lives of standing next to someone else and having someone else stand next to us. Today we're going to look at coming alongside one another, standing next to each other in the ministry and in our church. And we're going to see this, the big idea, if you're following along, in the outline of your bulletin, we're going to see this, that when we come alongside each other in community and gospel work, God will multiply his church. And again, that common theme that throughout this text, we're going to see just standing next to, standing next to, standing next to. So let's look at the first alongside. In verses 26 to 27, where Barnabas came alongside Saul. Follow along as I read. And when he, that is Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So Saul comes to Jerusalem, sort of the headquarters of the church at the time. He comes to HQ, and no one wants to talk with him. Again, we forget this part of the story because we know who he becomes. And we think, why would you not want to be around a guy who wrote a lot of books of the Bible? Because he hasn't written them yet. And again, we have to put ourselves in their shoes and remember they had every reason to stay away from this guy. 
They were afraid of him because he had been a religious terrorist and had been hunting Christians. And so we shouldn't really fault them for saying, has he really changed? Because as we have seen in the conversion of Saul, that he does a complete 180. His life is transformed completely by the gospel. And so it shouldn't surprise us that people don't believe transformation has happened. But who comes in to save the day? Who comes in to help one of the greatest missionaries of the early church come into the church, but our buddy Barnabas? Again, when we saw Barnabas last, he was really good at giving his stuff away. And he was really good at being generous. And here, we see more generosity from Barnabas. We see him living up to his name of son of encouragement. And he is generous with his time and his friendship because he is taking a huge risk. Barnabas decides to take Saul, the hunter of Christians, and to risk his reputation, gives up his time, and decides that, that the risk that he is putting on himself is worth it to bring in a fellow disciple of Jesus into the church. But again, don't let the end of the story make you miss the risk that Barnabas is taking. He is taking someone who got the authority from the government to hunt down and throw in jail Christians. And he's saying, I am going to come alongside this former persecutor of the church so that he is welcome in to the church body. He wasn't forced into doing this, and he had everything to lose. What if, what if he's wrong? You ever thought about that? What if he's wrong about Saul, and he hasn't changed, and he's sort of a double undercover agent, and he just uses this to, to seek to destroy the church even more? Again, there's risk. Barnabas has to sacrifice to do this. That's exactly what he does. He comes alongside Saul. He takes him under his wing and he testifies that Saul really is a believer in Jesus. And we know the outcome. We know that he just wasn't ushering in just another guy off the street. He was ushering in someone whom God would use to spread the gospel across the known world and to record the very word of God. But Barnabas didn't know that then. But he was able to serve the church in some ways in a, just a very simple way. He said to Saul, come with me and I'll introduce you to the rest of the guys. 
In some ways, that's all he did. He introduced people, which again is something we, we can all do. But a small action on behalf of Barnabas for the needs of another have giant ramifications in whom Paul becomes. So the natural question for us is, what does it look like for us to follow the example of Barnabas here? What does it look like for us to come alongside each other? Again, thinking for the good of someone else, not ourselves. And, And to, just as Barnabas did, bring Saul into the church family by simply coming alongside. Let me give you a couple ways that I think I think you can do this. By the way, if you're a visitor today, you picked the right Sunday to come because you are in application today. A um, couple quick, easy ways. One, you taking the initiative and in welcoming a visitor. Again, visitors, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> Some of the introvert visitors are like, I came on the worst day ever. It's going to be okay, everybody. It's going to be okay. But let me say this. This is something I have a conviction about. If you're not the new person, it's your responsibility to welcome the new person. That's just a conviction I have. And it, and it, and it mirrors what Barnabas did. Barnabas was a trusted, known part of the body of Christ And he went out, took the initiative, grabbed Saul, and brought him in. So one, just a simple one of of on Sunday morning, finding the person who needs welcoming. Sometimes we do this really well, sometimes we don't. Now part of that is just, we're not perfect, but it needs to be at the front of our minds. And it's a reminder every week, who do I see that I don't know? And risking embarrassment, maybe that you introduced yourself to him two weeks ago and you forgot? Isn't that the worst? Where it's like, you haven't seen him long enough to really recognize him, but you know it's been like too long where you can't ask their name again. There's risk, there's embarrassment, and we, but we can't let those little risks keep us from doing the right thing. And so you apologize and then introduce yourself again. Let me tell you a story about Bob. Bob was a guy I knew at camp, and Bob was new to camp. Uh, I also thought I was older than Bob. It turns out he was quite a bit older than me, but just had one of those faces. And Bob came in late to camp, and he was coming into training. He had never been there, never been there before in his life, didn't know anybody. And I was one of those lifer kids who had, had going to camp as a kid for years upon years and then like came on staff in college and just knew every nook and cranny of this camp. And Bob was in the back and me being who I was, especially back then as a 19-year-old, I was like, hey man, come and join the party we're having up here. And, and I grabbed Bob, again thinking that one, he was a lot younger than me, uh, but that was not true. Um, But later, a couple years after knowing Bob all those years, he said, 
that little thing really turned around his first experience. Because sometimes we forget what it's like to be new to a place or unfamiliar with a place and how easy it is for us to be discouraged and to just just leave. And so we need to do the small things that can end up having big results. In, in, in some ways, you can almost think about it like this. We don't know if we're welcoming the next missionary that this church sends out. I mean, maybe Barnabas sort of knew that. But did he know that he was bringing in a new believer whom God would send over the entire face of the earth with the gospel? I don't know. Or, or the kid that we invite when we, have, when we have kids' events here. We don't know what that kid's going to grow up to be. Could kid could be the next Billy Graham for all we know. And it really doesn't cost us a lot if we're really honest with ourselves. But this idea of coming along and inviting, it didn't cost me a lot to say hi to Bob and to bring him in. But it had a big effect on his life and his work that summer at the camp. Secondly, what does it look like to come alongside someone new to our church. Secondly, I, I, you should talk to them about small groups. In fact, even better, invite them to yours. Again, it's more than just hello. And isn't that what we need to help to get past? To really welcome someone in, to, to give them an opportunity to actually meet people and make relationship at the church. Now, yeah, it begins with a hello and how are you? Where do you live? What do you do? Et cetera. But, but we, need to, we need to give people more. And one of the best ways at our specific church here is invite someone to small group. I think by and large, the people who have come and visited and stayed are the ones who got hooked up with a small group. And some of you can personally testify to that how important the small group has been in, in just getting to know other people at the church here and making it feel like a real family. Thirdly, and this is sort of a fun one, you can almost make this into a little bit of a game, is introduce them to someone else. So you're talking with someone, well, well let, me, let me say it this way. Lucas told me a story this week about a professor, his name's uh, Dr. Bruce Ware, who is uh, at the seminary Lucas attended. He's He's a pretty well-known guy, really good scholar. And Lucas said he had this thing on Sunday mornings where he would meet a visitor, and then he'd grab somebody else. And he'd be like, hey, Lucas, come on over here. I got someone for you to meet. And then he'd start a conversation, and he'd sort of, you know, excuse himself after a little bit, and then he'd go and do it again. And he would just hop from visitor to visitor, but he would always leave them with someone. You could just see him go through their little foyer there. <laughs> Again, just to give you ideas of what that might look like, of getting past just high and actually having a conversation and introducing them to someone else. The last thing I want to say about this is that this is the business of all members. Notice it wasn't one of the apostles who brought Saul in. It was Barnabas. Barnabas 
took the initiative and took leadership and helped bring Saul into the community. I promise that I will do my best to do what I'm preaching here I, I, every week. Like I said, I try to preach to myself first. But here's the thing, I need you all to do it. I need you all to do it with me. Number one, I, even though I'm looking at everybody right now, I don't always see all the visitors. I just don't. And you guys get to sit next to them. Isn't that great? You're welcome. Um, but the other thing is, some of you are so much better at it than I am. Use the God-given abilities of hospitality and conversation to welcome someone in. We, but we have to do it together or else it's not going to happen. Secondly, in addition to coming alongside Barnabas, coming alongside Saul, we also see that the church came alongside Saul in ministry. Look at verses 28 to 30. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. There's, there's two alongsides that I see in this part of the story. The first one I see is working alongside each other. Saul joins the work of the church in the community of the church. And we see, as, as one person has put it, a picture of an ongoing campaign of bold evangelism that Saul joins. And so what I want to say is that to be a real part of a community means to work within the community and with the community. That a part of being a part of God's family in the local church is serving together. And, and, and isn't serving so much better when we do it with a buddy? One, you do, you can probably do more work. Two, you probably do better work. And three, you have a little more fun because you can actually talk to that person while you're doing it. But again, this alongside of, not just alongside to be friends, it's, it's, it's that, it's to be in relationship, but it's also with a purpose to serve the community, to share the gospel. So here's something I want to challenge you with. Maybe one of the reasons you're not serving is because you don't have anybody to do it with you. And maybe your fear of serving in specific ministries would be overcome if you had a buddy. And, and, and I, I can't think of many things better than serving with your spouse in ministry. Actually working together. You know, you know some of you who've, who've come to the work days that our church has done, some of you realize that's where you really get to know someone when you work with them. And you actually can have conversation. And you have something to talk about because you're doing something together. And so I just want to encourage you to, to work alongside each other. 
to grab a buddy, to grab your spouse, and to serve together. In fact, if you want to grab your whole small group, that's a great thing. I was thinking about this. You know, if... I want you to think about Children's Church. And if you took your whole small group to serve in Children's Church, even if we've got like a one-to-one kid-to-adult ratio, I don't care. Because the work's getting done. We need to be working together. And when we have a friend, I think some of our excuses go out the window. Secondly, not only are we coming alongside each other in ministry, but we're coming alongside unbelievers. I want to give us a new paradigm for sharing the gospel. Not a paradigm of speaking down at someone or needing to debate someone, but rather when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are simply coming alongside an unbeliever and welcoming them to walk with us down the road. In the early parts of this chapter, Christians are referred to those who belong to the way or the road or the path. It reminds us of places in the Bible like Psalm 128, which says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The picture is of walking down a road. And so when we share the gospel with someone, we're coming alongside them, and we're showing them the way to walk beside us on the road. And, and we're offering to walk with them. Again, it would make sense. If I was traveling, if I was just walking and traveling down the road on a trip, I would want someone next to me for protection, for encouragement, for comfort, in case I got sick or hurt. So why is it any of the same metaphor? That when we share the gospel, we're inviting them to walk next to us and to walk with us down the road. And that's what Saul is doing. He is proclaiming boldly the name of Jesus. But again, he's coming alongside and sharing the gospel. Now again, we see that when bold proclamation happens, that there is, at times, intense persecution. So much so that, again, Paul has to be snuck out of the city. But what would he have done if he was just on his own? Again, the need, the need for a travel buddy, the need for a full community of people standing next to each other in the work that God has called us to do. That, that the community, the church community there was there to sneak him off, to help him, to give him what he needed. 
Again, just picture all of us in the church standing next to each other, giving support, giving encouragement, even in the hardest times. The third alongside I want us to see is that the Holy Spirit came alongside the church. Look at verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now one thing I want to point out, first of all, is that it's almost odd that Luke can say the church was at peace. I mean, doesn't it seem strange? We've just read two stories about a guy having to get snuck out of a city because the persecution was so intense that people were going to kill him. But even in the midst of that, Luke can write that the church had peace. But how? How can, how can someone have peace when, when we're literally having to sneak a missionary out of the city so people won't kill him? First part of the answer is right after that in verse 31. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. The church was being built up even in spite of all the persecution that was going on. But who was doing the building? Well, the fact, it says was being built up. So that means it was being built by someone else. And as I've talked about before, this is what we call in our Bibles divine passives, that when there's no subject and it's a was being built up, the, the assumed subject is God. God is building the church. And so what that means is if God is the builder, no one can stop his building. And so I can have peace even in the hardest time because God will not fail. Reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, which says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God will grow his church when we are boldly proclaiming the gospel and we don't have to fear because God will build his church. But what do we do? What do we do while God is building? Look at the second part of verse 31 there. And walking in the fear of the Lord. So again, this idea of obedience, of doing what God has commanded us to do, of recognizing that he is God and I am not, of this proper relationship with the God of the universe, that as we live in that understanding of God, we are comforted by the Holy Spirit. We are encouraged by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us. 
word there for comfort is exactly that idea of someone who comes alongside you to encourage you, to comfort you, to advocate for you, to be the one who speaks for you, to be your advocate. It's what's used in John chapters 14 to 16 to describe the Holy Spirit as the helper or the advocate or the comforter, depending on your translation. And it's also used as the nickname of a guy in the book of Acts. He was known as, his name was Joe, and his nickname means son of encouragement. We know him better as Barnabas. And so again, the spirit, the word used to describe the spirit is the same word used to describe Barnabas. And how wonderful of a picture in this story of Barnabas coming alongside Saul to comfort him, to encourage him, to be his advocate. And in the same way, when we are walking in the fear of the Lord in right relationship with God, the Spirit comes alongside us to comfort us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, and to empower us. That we are not alone, just as Saul was not alone. We always have someone right by our side. And not just anyone, but the Holy Spirit himself. And when that happens, God not only grows his church but God multiplies his church. Again, look at verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. That when we are obedient to proclaiming the word of God, when we are obedient through the power of the Spirit to come alongside other believers and those who don't know Jesus, when we are obedient in those areas, God will multiply His church. But it's also a reminder that as those who have been called to come alongside others, that we are called not only to be disciples, but to make disciples. That again, we don't, we don't just stand next to someone. You think about that. Next time you have a conversation, you just stand there and you don't do anything. Just walk up and stand next. No one do this to me after service, by the way. <laughs> but you just walk up and you stand there and you don't do anything. It's going to weird the person out. Because when you come up and stand next to someone, you should do something. You should talk with them or help them with what they're doing. Can you imagine if you were lifting something... Let's say you were lifting a couch, and I just came and just stood next to you and did nothing. That would be not only awkward, it's bordering on just being wrong. So again, we're not just called just to stand next to someone. We're called to do something when we're standing there. That there are so many needs in our congregation, in our world, that all of us are called 
to come alongside each other, to encourage, to introduce people to Jesus. But that's all it is, it's just coming alongside, just like Barnabas did. And we can do it because the Holy Spirit has come alongside us. I mean, you can almost picture three people standing there. Like, there's the person that needs help, and you come alongside them, and then the Holy Spirit's right next to you. That's the picture of ministry, people. That because the Spirit has come alongside us to empower us, to encourage us, to equip us, that we can fulfill and help those who need it. Whether it's the young believer who needs discipled, whether it's the kid who needs to hear about Jesus, whether it's your unbelieving neighbor who for 80 years has lived a life as far away from God as he thinks is possible. Because the Spirit is standing next to us, we can stand next to them and boldly proclaim the love of Jesus. And when we do that, God will build the church. God will multiply believers. Because God is the one who changes hearts. Again, the big idea this morning of when we come alongside each other in community and gospel work, God will multiply his church. Who do you need to come alongside? Who's that person? Maybe you can even write that name down or the couple names down. God's calling you to stand next to them, to minister to them, and to show Jesus to them. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the wonderful example of Barnabas who came alongside Saul and welcomed him into the body of Christ, who took the time, risked the potential fallout to do what was right and to be obedient to what you called him to do. God, that we would come alongside each other that we would come alongside to comfort and encourage one another, that we would come alongside each other to work together for the spread of the gospel, and that we would do so in the fear of the Lord and because the Spirit is always at our side, encouraging us, comforting us, empowering us. God, that you would lay on each of our hearts names of people that we need to come alongside. That right now you would bring those into our mind. That you would bring to mind the name of of a younger believer that we need to share our gospel lives with. That you would bring to mind an unbeliever that we can come alongside and share the good news that Jesus died for them died in their place so that they could be forgiven, be reconciled to God, and have eternal life. God, that you would give us the conviction that we need to come alongside each other. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I invite those who are helping serve communion to